to the Insomniac Show with Nicolette and Brian. We'll get real deep with you, educating, inspiring, and solving problems with some of the most inspirational humans on the planet. Buckle up and come on the journey. I'm excited. All right, guys, I'm Nicolette, and today Brian and I are here with Elizabeth Bukaw. She is a chemical engineer turned wealth coach. I think that is really cool, so I want to start with that. And she's going to talk to us today um, about money, right, and some other things. So thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. We appreciate it. How are you today? Thank you for having me, Nicolette and Brian. I'm so blessed to be here. I'm I'm happy. I'm grateful. (laughs) Grateful to be alive. Thank God. Why don't you do us a favor? Tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, you know, to where you are right now, right? As a mm-hmm. well. What, what was that journey like? I know you, you had a pit stop there. Yeah. So um, growing up, I always had this. My mom used to sing me this nursery rhyme, actually, when I was really young. And it, the, it translates to, um, if you study hard, you'll work in hills. And so I had this picture in my mind of, of all these women, powerful women who walked in hills and they must have studied hard, right? And um, and my mom's a lawyer and she walked in hills as well. And she kept on repeating this. So I grew up with this imagination that I was going to walk in hills and to get there, I needed to study hard and get a good job and, you know, make money. And then I'll be qualified to work in hills. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, going through school, trying my best. I wasn't like an A star student, but maybe B. <laughs> and um, and g- when I got to just about to enter university and I was thinking of what I wanted to study, um, my main criteria was how much would I earn? Like what's the potential of my earnings? <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed chemistry and I was naturally good with maths. Uh, so I chose chemical engineering and it just worked out perfectly because at that point there, the, um, there was research from lots of um, universities that said that chemical engineers had the potential to earn the most. So it really worked out well with my skills and what I was good at. And I was thinking, okay, well, I like chemistry. And that was one of the requirements to, uh, to study chemical engineer he- here in the UK. And I liked maths and that was another requirement. And then physics was just a, an add-in. So I was like, yeah, I'm sorted. I'm going to study chemical engineering. Why? Because I'm going to make a lot of money and subconsciously to work in hills. So, um, and so I got to uni, I studied and graduated with a, a master's and um, I didn't get a job immediately. But when I did get my job, um, I had this desire because I got a job with a particular company and I thought this salary is not that high. And I was discussing this with my mom and she's like, well, if you work hard, you probably get a pay rise. And that came through again. And I worked really hard and um, advanced quickly in my roles up until like fast forward seven years later, I, ha- I was the only female engineer mm-hmm. in my company. And seven years later, thinking that I was at the um, height of, well, not height, but like the mid range of my mm-hmm. career and it was looking good. 
I could relax a bit more. I didn't have to always worry about, oh, get to work on time, let everyone see. Because now everyone kind of knows me in the company. I'd kind of, my work had spoken for me a few, for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And we were having this conversation with my boss and we're working on this new project. It's a patent. We're working on a patent for this new technology that we were trying to bring to the market in my company. And I was working on it with him and he, we had a conversation about me doing more hours and I said fantastic because I wanted to have this conversation about me getting paid more <laughs> <laughs> so we discussing, we're discussing this trade-off awesome. more money <laughs> exactly I'll work more you pay me more yeah. you know, I get more heels and and by this time I had quite a number of heels <laughs> in, in my closet that, I had that was like the whole goal life the collection of heels you know is the status of <laughs> I hardly wore them because you're a chemical engineer. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't even make sense to, to have heels. And my first job was in an oil refinery. We wore boots. Mm. So, so um um what so moving through speaking to my boss about this um pay rise, he said, okay, let's see how it goes in a couple of months, blah, blah, blah. It's like fantastic. Okay, now I'm actually pregnant with my second child at this point, but still I'm working hard you know I'm still pushing through and expecting this pay rise thinking like you know I'll walk through maternity just you know give me some more money and um I guess by this point you get the hint that I do like money right (laughs) (laughs) and then um seven months into my pregnancy two months before I give birth I get this call saying um from one of my managers saying don't worry about coming into work today and I'm like and he said, don't worry about coming into work today. Um, our boss had been ill for about five days. Um, he wasn't feeling too well. He was in the hospital. And that day he passed on. And that was it. And that was the last time I went to work. And the, um, my, my, I spoke to the company and the shareholders. And you know they were restructuring the business. And the business was in a bit of debt. And I said, and they said they were going to have to let my role go. And I was like, whoa, in that moment, like everything just started to like shatter, like bits under my feet. And I said, okay, fine. Okay. So I'm seven months pregnant. Now I'm thinking, okay, what about my money? I haven't been paid for this month. Like the month had ended. Like, so do I get paid for that? They said, um, we're going to see, we're putting it on under our unsecured loans. Like my, my paycheck was under an unsecured loan bracket. And um, I said, okay, I'm going on maternity in two months. He said, well, you can start your maternity now, but they don't, they're not supporting my maternity pay. Um, and at this point, again, we, my husband and I had just bought a house. So we just, it, like literally within 24 hours, I was going from about to, you know, increase my, pay by a huge amount to like being owed pay and it was just you know heartbreaking and um but coming out of that like you know I I took you know I took a you know step back I said okay we're moving we focused on the move and focused on the baby and just you know not worrying about work and the reason we were able to do that was because as much as I did love to make money, I also l- learned to keep money. Mm. And 
um, we had enough money saved to support us for at least 12 months so that we didn't have to start like, I didn't have to start looking for a job right immediately where, you know, when I had the baby. So I had the space to have the baby. My husband still had his job. We still had the savings that was, you know, supporting us with the move, with buying beds and stuff for the house and buying stuff for the baby. And we were able to do that with, you know, with, from a, like a relaxed, more a relaxed place than if we had nothing at all. And we were moving and we were having a child at the same time. And then I lost my job. And so um, life changes in a very short, short period of time, you know, <laughs> it switched like life just switched. We went from, yeah, our income like slashed in half or less than half in, in 24 hours. So, yeah. you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, which I think you kind of touched on, but why is it that, so I know, okay, you did some things that then led to where you are now and I want to go there, but why didn't you just say to yourself, all right, let me get another job as a chemical engineer, right? Why, what, what was the shift then that, that kind of took you away from, from that? Yeah. So with, after I lost my job and as I had the baby, maybe it's hormones, maybe it's postnatal, or maybe it's actually, you know, feelings that I had suppressed for many years. Mm-hmm. I started experiencing a lot of the like the side effects of loss grieving out Mm -hmm. from the loss of the job and what that brought up for me was uh on three different levels one I grew up in a single family home until I my mom married this wonderful man my my stepfather is a wonderful man when I was about 11 but up until then I lived with my grandmother and my mother and my grandfather in my grandfather's house right so my grandparents watched me um most of the time but I growing up with my mom I remember thinking and I remember sometimes some conversations that I I had overheard and thinking that um if I was cute enough or if I was loving enough my dad would have stayed and I remember thinking that remembering a conversation where my mom was asking for um nursery fees for me because she didn't have that much at that time she was asking for nursery fees and he said he didn't have enough money and I have two children and I have a a son my my, my baby that is born now and he is just the cutest thing ever he is up to me right (laughs) and and um and my daughter is so like to me she's just so beautiful and we as her parents like i want to give her the as much as i can the least is to take send her to school the least is to pay for her fees her school fees and 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 the support that she needs when i i see like oh she's struggling in this area or she needs help in this area or she's really good in this and i want to support her the best i can and I do everything. I know that I do that. And so I started thinking like, if, and it really came back to me then that if I was cute enough or loving enough, and those are thoughts I already had before, but it came back to my memory that if I was loving enough, then he would have stayed. And so those thoughts about with, you know, about my dad came back and it really 
made me feel, I wouldn't say depressed, but really sad. And then another thing that came back was my relationship with my husband. He's an amazing man. But I felt that now that, and at one point I was earning way more than him in my job and, um, and saving way more as well. So in my mind, I had this vision that I was this responsible wife, you know, this wife who brings honor to her family, like my husband's family would be saying in my head, you know, say, oh my God, you married her? You are lucky. <laughs> She's just leveling you up in every area. That was you know, <laughs> kind of the thoughts in my head. And then like I lost this job, I lost this income and my status symbol, which was my identity was just, was just um, built around the money, the potential of money I could make and the money I was making and the money I would make. I felt subconsciously in my mind that I was going to lose my marriage as well because now I'm not useful. Now I'm not producing anything good. If you have a tree that produces no fruit, well, you should might as well cut it down. And those were the kind of thoughts that I, I had, like, like I was a plant that was trying up, not of no use of no value. Mm -hmm. And so the loss of the job brought those thoughts, you know, to me as well, you know, from, you know, my relationship with my dad and my relationship with my husband, and he did not understand what was going on with me. He's like, why are you so sad? And I'm like, just leave me alone. <laughs> and any word he said would just validate the fact that he's going to leave me. <laughs> oh, the um, what the kids? What are the kids eating today? Oh, great! Now I'm useless. <laughs> I can't even make food. <laughs> so, so those kind of things just added in from no reason, for no reason, just mm -hmm. added to the fact that I wasn't good enough as a person. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm trying to apply for jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, I took some interviews and I get to the very last step of this interviews. And they would ask me, is there anything else that you want to say? And I'll say something like, I have two children. Um, um, is there anything for like flexible working? And um, this was before flexible working was a thing. And I, or I would say, um, what are, um, are your hours very strict? I'll ask questions like that. And then obviously I'll, they'll come back to me saying, um, we really like you, we'll keep you in mind, but um, we're not sure that you'll suit this role right now. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was like, great. So <laughs> I really actually didn't want the job because mm -hmm. as much as I wanted to be earning the money, I also wanted to stay at home and be a mom and be this responsible mm -hmm. person, but I also wanted to be earning this money. And it was two conflicting ideas in my head at that time and so I took some time out and I really I, I I actually stopped sleeping intentionally so once my kids slept by like 10 I'll stay downstairs in my sitting room and I would be studying all night I would be studying three things I'd be studying one what's going on in my brain why am I saying something and doing something else mm -hmm. Why am I saying I want this job to make this money and then sabotaging myself when I'm in interviews? Um, I was trying to understand because I could tell that there was something not right with that. And I didn't feel comfortable con conversing it with my husband because he just say something like, oh, please, you're being so dramatic. Mm -hmm. You know, people have real issues, you know, 
<laughs> or, or things like that, you know, you know, you're not starving or, or something like, I can take care of you, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, um, and that was one thing that I was studying. Another thing I was studying was about money because I, I remember when I was 23, I had this job and I went to the bank. I had a, a, um, a meeting with the bank manager and I said to him, I want to be, I want to buy a home and I want to have enough money. I want to be wealthy. I want to, I don't want to worry about money in when I'm older. Right now, this is what I'm doing. I'm saving. I'm doing all these things. I started investing when I was 19, but all the stocks I picked didn't pan out. Like I was picking mm -hmm. stocks. I wasn't good at it. Mm -hmm. um, can you give me some tips? Tell me what I need to do. And he was like, how old are you? I said, 23. I'm going to be 24. And he said, you're so young. I was like, yeah, I know. But if you tell me now, then I know what to do. So because nobody in my family knows what to do with money. I've asked everyone. Everyone just says, go and work and earn the money. And I knew there's some people who are not working, but they are making more money. Yeah. So I asked this bank manager, tell me something that I don't know. What can I do? What should I be studying? He said, just keep saving. You're doing everything right. And that was a big pat on my ego's back that, you know what? You're doing the right thing. Don't even worry. And I stopped and just said, okay, I'll keep saving. And that was all I did. I only ever saved. And even when we bought our house, uh, the deposit was just straight from savings. There were so many government schemes that I could have used mm -hmm. to save on taxes. I didn't know anything about that because my bank manager said, just keep saving. You want to buy a house, just save, just do that. And, and that was what I did. Then, uh, you know, with the job loss, I knew that, you know, I knew I was right. <laughs> I knew there was something I didn't know. And now if I was prepared, then it would not, I would be probably in a better place financially. So I started also studying more about money that I know some things about money, but there's something that makes money work for you so that you don't always have to work for money. Even when you're sleeping, the money is working for you. Even when you are sick, the money is still working for you. There's something that turns money from your master into your tool. And without that knowledge, you will forever be a slave to money. Mm -hmm. And I was studying that as well. And those were the two main things I was studying. And, um, and I did that every night until one day I had a, an encounter with God. And he said to me, what is it that you like? What is it that you want to do? And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm saying I want these jobs. I get the, into the interview and somehow I screw it up. Um, I'm saying I want to stay at home and, and take care of my kids. And yet I'm angry that I can't work and make money. And I felt really confused. And, and I remember saying, all I like is money. Mm -hmm. That's all. And he said to me, well, how can you use that for my glory? And I said, I have no idea. Just give me money and I'll give some to charity. <laughs> give me some money and I'll give some. I'll help the poor and I'll help like, you know, widows and widows, um, <laughs> orphans. And literally right. that was what I was saying. And then the next day, I started having conversations with people and I, and I'd learned a lot at this time. This had, you know, been going on for a few months and I started speaking to people about money, friends and family. And I started noticing that 
they were doing things that even without my without studying I wouldn't do and I was like uh okay and so I started giving you know just advice and tips and points and a few months later I clicked it said this is how I can use money to mm-hmm. help people by sharing with them you know it's not about me having billions and then giving some to charity by sharing with them tips that I know now while they are in a good place so that they can make their lives so much better. They can build their wealth um, while I'm rebuilding mine. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of how Wealth from Little was built, which is my company where you know I kind of help people rebuilding their wealth and well, building their wealth from scratch. And for me, I was rebuilding mine because in my first job on the on the on the oil rig. Oh no, on the oil refinery, sorry, in the oil refinery, every penny I earned when I was 19, 20, I saved it and I invested it in stocks. Mm -hmm. And all the stocks I invested in went like completely like crashed, right? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in my company, I invested a lot of my savings in that company when they were going through a hard time. Mm-hmm. because I believed in the company and I believed in the vision and I believed in the product we were bringing to market. Mm-hmm. But then when I lost my job, I had also signed some non-disclosure agreements, which meant I couldn't talk about anything and I wasn't in- entitled to anything anymore. And so mm-hmm. all the investment I had put plus back salaries, I lost. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a lot, <laughs> a lot. But even with that, you know, I, God would still bless me because we still had some savings that to take us through, and to and in that sense, you know, you know, God was merciful towards me and my family because we were able to use that to tide us to get to a place where I could have complete clarity and vision of exactly how I want to build wealth with my life and what I wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do- Sorry, I, do you think, you know, you, you went through a lot, right, to get to, to where you are. Do you think without some of those things, like if they didn't happen, you would have found the passion? Like if you would have just continued at that job and it would have been successful, then you would have just, you would have just kept making money, right? You wouldn't have had found the passion to sort of help others, you know, and become a, you know, a wealth coach. Yes, you're right. Without the pain, I would never have found the passion. So then what do you find then uh, through your work? What do you see as, as some of the big mistakes? If you had to call out a few big mistakes that people make then, you know, that you've caught over the years, what would you say they are? Um, I think the biggest one is our opinion of ourselves. Um, I, have, I find that once you have an opinion of yourself, you try your best to live up to it no matter what, whether it's good or not. Um, I have some clients who, as much as they're trying to improve their finances, they're trying to get out of debt, they're trying to um, save more, they're trying to start investing and they're finding it difficult. And we go back and we start talking about, okay, what do you truly believe is true? And they say to me, um, money is scarce. I said, is it scarce for you or for, for what? And they tell me that they believe money is scarce for everyone. Mm. For an ex- as an example, and I like we everyone, mm-hmm. and like yeah, 
everyone money is scarce. And when you have a belief like that, as you're trying to invest, you're trying to save, you're trying to, right. and you have the belief that there's money is scarce for everyone, including yourself, mm-hmm. it, it, self-sabotage is inevitable. Mm-hmm. So that's one, one big thing that I find like, um, like if you, if you, if your, your opinion of yourself and opinion of, you know, the world around you, you, we almost kind of live up to that in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So um, your, your yeah. negativity is almost defining how you're, you're viewing whatever it is, right? Whether it's money or your relationship or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's defining how you're viewing it versus looking at it without that lens. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, so I think that's a big one. So then let, let me ask you, you know, we've been in the midst of a crisis, right? Um, globally, and a lot of people are struggling with money. You know, I mean, people have lost their jobs. So what should those people be doing right now if they have not saved the money, you know, and they're worried, what, what do we, what do they do? Yeah. Um, and it's true. Loads of people are struggling and I, I, I can see that definitely. At the same time, loads of people are prospering at the same time um i at this at the time when they when change is happening when there is a change being introduced into systems there will always be people will actually people on the lines especially those who are on the lines between the between in the change will either experience some kind of loss or some kind of gain and it's at that point that we have to start to and i guess the word of 2020 was pivot and what I want to say is to be flexible, be flexible in how you want to make more money mm-hmm. because it's not you ever making money is not set in stone as to how you do it. We all have multiple skills and multiple talents that we can use to make more money. If I decided that I was only going to make money via um, a chemical engineering, when I lost my job, though, shortly after that, there was this oil and gas crash here, at least here in the UK, which meant a lot of oil and gas jobs were scarce, per se, mm-hmm. right? But ra- like here I am uh, teaching financial education. I studied chemical engineering. Like it's not even close in mm-hmm. terms of what I studied and what I'm doing now. Well, you got the math. You got the math in there. I <laughs> And I'll tell you something else. Um, when I first graduated from my master's, I didn't have a job then because it was during the first um, credit crunch crisis that, that mm. was happening and everyone was struggling. And I started a cake company because I knew how to bake cakes. <laughs> and I started a cake company selling cupcakes and eventually the company, and I didn't, I knew how to bake cakes. I couldn't decorate them. I wasn't really good. But I built that skill and got onto got up to the point where I was making wedding cakes wow. because I thought about it that if I make cupcakes, I'm selling it at two dollars or two pounds per cupcake. It's it's good, but it's not enough. But when you make a wedding cake, people pay thousands, even if they are broke, for wedding cakes, mm-hmm. right? So. I could easily make the same cake and, because and, it's a wedding cake and make more money. And you know, the chemical engineer in her said, look, it's the same amount of ingredients to make 30 cupcakes <laughs> as it is to make this wedding cake. And I can make a thousand times more on it. 
Exactly. So it's literally exactly as you said, Brian, it's the same skills, the same ingredients, but you're packaging it in a different way. Yeah. Who, how do you serve it and who are you serving it to mm -hmm. so that you can make more and help, you know, uh, uh, you know, pay up, pay your bills and, and so have the life that you want to live based on that. Exactly the same ingredients it takes to make a cupcake. It is the same ingredients that it took for me to make a wedding cake. There's really like very little different. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. What you're, what you're talking about is you're almost taking your skills, looking at it in a different way and figuring out how you can make more out of the skill you already have, whatever that is, and, and make more wealth really at the end of the day. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And whatever the skill is, um, on whatever stage you are, you are at in, in, in your life. When I was younger, when I was a teenager, I used to, I was good at crocheting, you know, like knitting and stuff like that. And um, my brother wanted to make, um, wanted to have some gifts to give to the girl he liked for Valentine's Day. <laughs> and so I made a hair ruffle then valentine's day gifts were very cute so i made him a hair ruffle that he could he could he could sell to her he could buy for her rather than buy <laughs> he sold so it he to the girls saved, he didn't like you know. <laughs> <laughs> he saved his pocket money to to pay me to, to sell the hair to, to buy the hair ruffle and he gave it to her and then another example of having making money without having even anything in the holidays when i was an older teenager in the holidays, all the children in my area, they had nothing to do. They didn't know what to do. Parents didn't have anything for them to do. I, I would have them in my house and we would, I would teach them because I like dance. I would teach them music and dance routines. And at the end of the holidays, we would have a concert for the parents and people will have to pay to come and watch their children who were being babysat. Um, do this dance and singing routine and I make more money that way. <laughs> you were you were always an entrepreneur. You were actually You're a hustler. You hustle. <laughs> so like now that there's a recession, it's exactly mm -hmm. this, you know, things have always been great and then bad, great and right. then bad, great and then bad. And it's and there's something that I teach is called the law of day and night. And I believe that when God created the earth, at one point, you know, he said, let there be light. There was the sun. And for many years, we only had the sun and the day and the moon at night. And what people would do was they'll do their work in the daytime so that at night they, they don't have to do the work. And then what happened? Some smart people, you might know them, of them, created electricity. And mm -hmm. now we have 24-7 day. So even though the day is still in the daytime and at night it's still very dark, but now at night, you have the option to turn on the electricity in your house. So you never have to experience nighttime unless you want to. Mm -hmm. Now, it, during this pandemic, as people are experiencing nighttime in their finances, they have the opportunity that based on this nighttime to turn on the light, mm -hmm. to create some kind of electricity for themselves so that when the next nighttime comes, they don't have to stay in the dark. They can put on that light if they want to. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, so I truly believe that that is, you know, is possible for all of us, you know, even to different degrees, but still is possible for all of us. That is, 
That's inspiring. What? So when I, I would like you to leave, leave us with something. I want you to leave us with some advice, right? Saving advice. Since you're a good saver, I suck at saving. I can't save anything. I'm terrible. Um, I also love money, but I like to not keep it. So it's great. <laughs> right? So give it away. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, but what is your advice? Then doesn't give it to orphans you though. And, me you know, and <laughs> how do I say? So what do I do? Is there something I should be doing right when I get paid? You know, is there some simple task that you know, simple action that people can perform right every time they get a paycheck? You know, my 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 other half likes to say that you always take out, um, you know, you have them take out the most amount of whatever, you know, out of your paycheck for taxes and things like that. So you get, you know, make them save all that, make sure you put your money in any company savings account, those kind of things. Um, but is there any, uh, is there anything else we could be doing? Of course. Yeah, sure. And I'm sure, you, you know, you know, like everyone says, pay yourself first, you put some money aside in your savings, then you pay your bills. And all that is well and good. And everyone knows these things, right? But then when it comes down to it, there is something actually stopping you from being able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to give you that advice because you already know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there's um, an idea that I've been um, I've been playing with, which, you know, I, I say this in different ways, but but it's, it's what I call one percenter, like be a one percenter, like just start with one percent. If you can live on hundred, like you can spend a hundred percent, you can spend 99. <laughs> so if you get paid a hundred bucks, save 1%, that's like $1, just one, like literally, I'm not saying that save much, save 10%, uh, save a hundred, just start with 1% because Saving is a habit. It has nothing to do with how much you have or how little you have. It's just a habit of doing it. Because once your brain is in the habit of being able to keep money, you're, you're telling yourself that you can have money. And when you train yourself to be able to have it, not just let it flow through you, you're able to not just be like a pipe, which is a channel where money can just pass through. You're able to be like a sponge. So you know, you turn on the sponge, you, you fill it with water and some comes out, but it retains some, some water as well. You know, you're able to be like your lungs, you breathe in air and you breathe out air, but still you keep some in your, in your system so that the air can function and operate your brain, your heart, your lungs, all your vital organs so that you can live. And when you, and when you, and you keep some, you, you start, try and start just keeping 1%. And that will drastically change because that habit will change your life completely. It might change it slowly because we're starting at 1%, but still it will. And I'll tell you the power of 1%. Um, I was looking at, and you know, from when I was working with my clients, I was doing, I was trying to give them tangible examples about how, why 1% is so important and the power of just 1%, starting with 1%. And I was looking at the Olympics because we missed the Olympics last year, right? Mm -hmm. I was looking at the Olympics from 2016 and just before Usain Bolt um, retired. And I had, I said, going through all the numbers and I don't have it here with me, but I, from what I remember, I was going through all the numbers and seeing um, the, the scores, like how fast they were. So Usain Bolt ran 100 meters in nine seconds and 81 seconds. The person who came second from the guy from America, I've forgotten his name, 
he ran in nine seconds and 9.89 seconds. And that was less than 1% slower than Usain Bolt's. And Usain Bolt has made so much money just because he was 1% better. Mm-hmm. Now, the person who came 10th or 8th, sorry, the person who came 8th, so last in the finals, he ran 25, 0.25 seconds slower than Usain Bolt's, less than a second slower than Usain Bolt's, and he came last. And no one remembers his name, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, globally. But mm-hmm. if you think about it, just a quarter of a second slower, that's remarkable. It's really remarkable that he's that fast. Mm-hmm. But just by Usain Bolt's being that 1%, even less than a second faster, he is world known and he's got so much sponsorship deals and so much so much favor has come his way just because he was one percent better and you can check that in any sport swimming golf all those the top people are usually just one percent or less than a percent better not even up to one less than a percent better consistently than everyone else Mm -hmm. and because of that consistency in just being a little bit it's not like you need to be miles bigger than than Mm -hmm. the person just that little bit better sets you, puts you up on that pedestal and sets you apart. And just by you starting with that 1%, you see that how that habit will set you apart if you keep on with the habit of being 1% better than you were before. And then you then you keep pushing. And then what I encourage people to do is after you're used to being 1% better, then be 1% better than you were before. You know, and then you push yourself to 2%. And then later, maybe in a couple of months, be 1% better than you were before. Because you know the concept now that mm-hmm. being 1% better makes you outstanding. Mm-hmm. So create the habit and then makes progressions on the on the improvement. That's really, yeah. honestly, that's, I, I really, you know, I never heard it that way. Where saving is a habit. You know, it, that's mm-hmm. really, it, that makes a lot of sense to me, you know, um, having a place to kind of, um, have an automatic, you know, just automatically have a, have something taken out and put, put into a bank account or making it a habit to go to whatever, go to the bank every Friday or whatever it is, you know, and putting it immediately and making that habit because you're right. A lot of times, you know, I'm Amazon is much, you know, more important on, on Friday than, you know, (laughs) getting to the bank. You mean the habit spending the money, not, uh, saving the money. I have a really good habit. And it's funny, all of my shopping usually occurs on Friday when I get <laughs> a lot of shopping goes down that day. <laughs> so put your money, put your money aside on Thursdays. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> oh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you just make ever tell everybody where they can learn more about you and your work and you know, maybe um, you know, even work with you? Yeah, so um, you can come and see me at my website, www.elizabethbukor.com. That's just my name, .com. And or you can find me on Instagram at Wealth From Little, on Facebook. My Facebook page is at Wealth From Little as well. So yeah, come see me in those places. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's Elizabeth Bukor. You can find me on LinkedIn too. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us today.